Amen. Happy Father's Day. It's good to see all of you this morning. My name is John Andrew. I'm the student pastor here, and I'm glad you're here with us. It's an honor for me just to be able to share with you this morning. This morning, being that it is Father's Day, one, we want to celebrate fathers, but it's fitting that this morning we're going to be studying discipleship and this theme that you see marking Jesus's life and ministry. Because fathers, parents have the ultimate opportunity in their children to raise up young disciples. Discipleship starts in the home. And so um, that's where we're going to be going this morning. If you will, open up your Bibles with me to Matthew 25. We're going to be starting in verse 14. Let me read it for us. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground, where here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents." For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we do thank you for this morning, and just pray that as we open your word, Father, that you would teach us something new about yourself. Father, regardless of our background, Father, what happened to us this morning or this week, wherever it is that we are, and Father, whatever emotional state, we pray that you would center our hearts on you and your goodness, Father, even when that's hard to see, and that this morning as we take a look at your command for us to make disciples, to reproduce what we've been given, God, would you instill a heart within us to be obedient to that calling? recognizing how good our our master is. Father, we love you and pray that you teach us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Throughout this parable of the talents, you see some hard words coming to the disciples from Jesus. 
And so our goal this morning is to get into the context a little bit, to break down this passage, to really figure out what it was that separated those two servants who obeyed from the one who didn't, so that we may be well prepared and well aware of what awaits us when Jesus does come again. And so if you will, flip back to Matthew 24 for me. Let's look at the context. A couple of things that you see in this passage are that Jesus has begun telling a series of parables. He's a number of days out, three days out from his death, knowing that in a number of days, he is going to leave these disciples that he has led for three and a half years. I want you to imagine the anxiety that is filling them as they feel maybe ill-prepared, ill-equipped to continue life without this guy that they love so much. And maybe I want you to feel a little bit of the weight that's on Jesus as he is seeking to prepare his disciples for this day that's coming and this time that's coming where he is no longer going to be with them. So he begins telling them a series of parables designed to keep them prepared for the day that he comes again. He keeps telling them, be ready, be ready. Matthew 24 in verse 36, you see him telling them concerning that day and hour, being the day and hour that he returns, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Later on, he tells him in verse 44, Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Immediately after that statement, he asks them the question, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their proper food, their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. He keeps telling them again and again, be ready for the day that I come. And then beginning in chapter 25, he enters into this series of three parables, beginning with the parable of the ten virgins, where he highlights these, these differences that separate these wise um, servants from the foolish. And one of the things that you see is as these people, these virgins are waiting for their bridegroom to come, they get a little drowsy. In verse 5 of, of Matthew 25, it says, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And what you end up seeing throughout the rest of this parable is that those who were wise, they were prepared. They were prepared for their bridegroom to come back at any moment. Meaning that even if he came in the middle of the night, they were ready with their lamps and the oil to go out and meet him in the middle of the night. Yet those who were foolish were not ready. They were not prepared to go out and meet him in the middle of the night. And so when he came, when they heard that call, here is the bridegroom, they were left out. While those who were prepared went and got to celebrate the marriage supper with their bridegroom, this one that they'd been waiting on for so long. And so immediately you see Jesus outlining this, this whole idea of being ready and everything that that entails as something that has supreme importance. That it's not some simple thing to where if you're not ready, you just, oh, whatever, you know, no big deal. But you see them missing out on that marriage supper. Particularly if you think about Revelation 19, as you see John envisioning this marriage supper to the Lamb where the Lord finally does bring us to himself again as we come into his kingdom and celebrate with him. That is what we risk missing out on. Should we not listen to the Master's words now while he is gone? 
So that's our goal, that this morning as we get into the parable of the talents, which was specifically designed to answer that question of, okay, well, what does it mean for us to be ready? Right? I'm sure that's the question that you are left with. It's a question I was left with reading this. Certainly the question these disciples are left with as he's telling them, be ready, be ready, be ready. Okay, well, what does that mean? And in verse 14, he enters into this parable of the talents, outlining for them exactly what it looks like for these disciples, these servants, to be ready for the day that he returns to them again. If you will, go back to Matthew 25. We'll look in verse 14. That's where we're going to start. We're going to flip around a little bit, but you can kind of mark your finger in Matthew 25. That's where we're going to be coming back to throughout the entirety of this morning. Verse 14, Jesus says, entering into this parable of the talents, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. So immediately you see him identifying a couple different characters, right? You see this master, you see three servants, you see the storyline developing, as he mentions that this, this master is leaving, but he entrusts his servants with property, his own property, and then he leaves. It's one five talents, it's one two, it's one one. But as we continue throughout the rest of it, you're going to see what it is that these disciples end up doing with these talents. But first, what we want to do at the very beginning of this parable is recognize this call to discipleship. From the very beginning of this parable, Jesus is calling these disciples to do exactly what it is that he has done with them, which is make disciples. If you look in Luke 19, starting in verses 11 through 13, Luke records a parable that's really similar to this parable that we find right here in Matthew. Similarly, just a number of days out, it makes me wonder if Jesus had to tell them this parable again because still weren't getting the picture. But Luke 19 tells us essentially the same parable. It says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, engage in business until I come. Here in Luke's version, you can see him clarifying who these characters are. It becomes immediately clear especially if you're one of these disciples. If you are listening to this parable as one of these disciples, your mind is flashing back to all these moments that Jesus has been telling you, look, I've got to leave. I've been leading you for these years, but I'm going to have to leave you one day, but I will return. Think back to John 14. If you look in John 14, you see that Jesus has been telling them he's got to leave them. That's when all these disciples come around and say, what do you mean you can't leave us? Where are you going? He tells them, don't worry. John 14, 3 says, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So in the middle of all this be ready talk, he had been telling them this all along, but also telling them that he was going to come again, that he had to leave to prepare a kingdom, he was going to come again so that he may bring these disciples to himself, not just for three and a half years, but for eternity. Do you get that picture as we dive in from the very beginning within this parable? On a couple other, other moments throughout the, the ministry of Jesus, particularly within those 40 days that he was in his resurrected body, you see him doing the same exact thing with these disciples. You think Matthew 28, 
right? As Jesus directs his disciples to a mountain in Galilee, what happens? They come to him. It said that some had been doubting, but regardless, they all come. And Jesus tells them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here you get this perfect glimpse of this nobleman leaving to go to this faraway country to receive for himself a kingdom. And then what? Return. And he's bestowing upon his disciples, his servants, a task to which he is going to call them to account on the day that he returns. Again, even moments before he ascends to the Father, if you look Acts 1, Luke records this moment between Jesus and these disciples as now they're, they're on the Mount of Olives just across the brook of Kidron from, from Jerusalem. And in Acts 1.6, you can read along with us. So, so when they, Jesus and these disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. As you get this picture, this is the fulfillment of everything that Jesus had been saying to these disciples in the parable of the talents. Identifying himself as this man who's got to leave. But in the meantime, he's going to entrust to his disciples his property, leaving them with the task. The task being, make disciples. So that on the day that he returns, he's going to call them to accounts, begging that they come, having reproduced what they had been given. For us, we throw around this word discipleship. I think a lot of times, maybe not even quite knowing what we're talking about. But as we see discipleship defined and modeled by Jesus throughout the entirety of his, his ministry, one of the things that you see is it is marked by this desire to reproduce in others what has been produced in you, namely the work of Christ within your heart that wells up to eternal life. And so as you look at the way that Jesus made disciples, that's our goal this morning. We recognize this call to discipleship in the beginning of the parable of talents, but now we've got to get into, all right, well, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us to make disciples? Let's look at what Jesus says, and then let's look at what he did. If you will, go with me now to verse 16 in Matthew 25. Starting in verse 16, we read, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now you see that these, these servants, these disciples, they're given this sum of money. And for our, our case this morning, as we're seeking to understand what this parable means, we've got to understand talent as just that. It is a sum of money. So a talent in this day initially was used as a reference of a, a, a term of weight. It's how you would measure weight. 
produce, uh, even currency later on. And for that reason, the term talent came to be known as a unit of currency. Particularly for these guys, it was roughly 20 years wages. Okay, that was one talent, 20 years wages. So this guy to which this master gives five talents, he is entrusting him with 100 years worth of wages for one of these servants. That is an enormous sum of great value. And so we can recognize that parallel too as we see these similarities between this parable of talents and this call to discipleship that is a great sum, a great value with which we have been entrusted and commanded to reproduce. So let's take a look at the life of Jesus. Look at the way that he made disciples and the way that he ministered to people so that we can in turn do the same thing that when he comes and calls us to account, we can be found as those good and faithful servants. If you look with me in John 1, this marks the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. The very beginning. You, you see him just being baptized by John the Baptist and immediately going out, beginning his ministry, and he begins with this call to these disciples of John the Baptist. And in John 1.35, if you'll read with me, it says, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. It is this call that marks the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and the very foundation of his entrance into relationship with people. He came to these disciples of John, and if you get the, the picture here, if you can picture it in your minds, what does John do? John points out Jesus, this guy that he had been telling his disciples about all along. As soon as they see Jesus across the way, whatever the scene looked like, what they do? They leave. They leave John the Baptist, go chasing after Jesus. As he turns around, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? What do you want? What are you seeking? I imagine in that moment they were kind of overcome a little bit, maybe with emotion, maybe with excitement, knowing that this is the guy that they've been looking for all along, that John had been telling them about. All they can think to ask is, where are you staying? And in Jesus' response, you see him simply invite these guys into a relationship with himself. He says, come and see. There are no strings attached. There are no obligations. There's no immediate call to transform your behavior. All there is is a simple call into a relationship with him. He says, you want to know who I am, what I'm about? Just join me for a day. Come listen to the things that I say. Come watch the things that I'm doing. Learn a little bit about who I am and my ministry. Just come and see. That was how Jesus initiated all of his relationships with these disciples by inviting them to share in his life. Come and see. Later on in John 1, you see him come back to these disciples that he already had a relationship with. Here, particularly Philip. And you see him giving him a different call. Whereas come and see was a call that was issued to people who had no clue who Jesus was or didn't have a relationship with him. And it was a simple invitation to get to know him. In John 1, starting in verse 43, you see him give a different call. Where he comes up to Philip and he calls Philip to come and follow me. Now Philip already knew who Jesus was. And we know that because as you look at Philip's interaction with his friend Nathaniel, 
when he's telling Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. You've got to come see him. Nathaniel's like, okay, where's he from? Philip says, Nazareth. Uh, I don't believe you. Nazareth, this little backwater town, he's not, coming, he's not coming from there. Philip's response to Nathaniel is a simple, come and see. Come and see. You want to know if the Messiah really could come from Nazareth? Just come and check it out for yourself. That simple. Then he gets to this come and follow. Where for those who have heard the gospel before, he calls them to come and follow me. Maybe you've heard of Jesus. Maybe you're sitting on the fence in terms of what you think about him, what you think he's all about. But this is where Jesus comes to these disciples and says, okay, you've, you've heard and you've seen. Now I'm calling you to come and sit at my feet to learn from me. Me as your rabbi, you as the disciple, just join me. Walk through life with me. Learn a little bit more about who I am, what I'm saying, what my message is. And this whole theme of dis- discipleship, this tradition, long outdated Jesus in his earthly ministry, discipleship had been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. This was a, a well-renowned tool for education and training within ancient Greece. You see in, in the world of ancient philosophy, you see back to the days of Socrates, he himself had disciples in Plato. Plato himself had disciples in Aristotle. Later on, Aristotle in Alexander the Great. You see it even dating back to other rabbis throughout all of Jewish tradition. That was something that was not new for Jesus, something that he took a hold of in order to train up his disciples, train them up so that they may take equipped his message to the rest of the world. After calling these guys who'd maybe heard of him but hadn't committed to come and follow, in Matthew 4 you get this picture where he finally invites them into what we know of his relationship with them as disciples, where he encounters them fishing, these two brothers, two sets of brothers, and he calls them to come follow me, and he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now this is for those who are already believers, those who already have a relationship with him. This scene that we get in Matthew 4, this takes place about a year, year and a half into Jesus's ministry. He had already been building a relationship with him for a long time before he calls them to be these leaders that he calls them to be. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Meaning, I'm going to prep you for this ministry so that you can take this message that I've been teaching to you to the rest of the world. That way, the rest of the world, the nations can hear about this love that I have for my people. And if you look at their response, you see that immediately it records that they dropped their nets and they followed him. And as you can tell throughout the rest of Jesus' ministry and throughout the entire time that he was going through the trial and the crucifixion and the resurrection and throughout the early church, you can tell that they never looked back. Never looked back. And so as we think about the, the call to discipleship, but then also this idea of the, the work of discipleship, this is exactly what it is. is embodying the same sort of ministry that Jesus has, that as we go to people, we identify where they are in terms of, of their understanding of who Jesus is and their relationship with him, and we call them accordingly. We'll get into that a little more later on. But for now, in addition to this idea of understanding the work of discipleship, we've also got to Look to the reward. Because you don't see after these servants coming back to the master with what they'd done, with what he'd given them, the story doesn't end there. If you look in verse 19 of chapter 25, 
says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There are a couple things you notice within this interaction that you see between G- between the master, again, representing Jesus, and these servants representing these disciples, where it says that this master came back. It didn't say after a short time, but it says after a long time, he came back. The one who had been given the five talents came to him saying, hey, here's the five that you gave me. Here, I've made five more. Same with the guy who had the two. And one of the things that you see within Jesus' interaction with these guys as they finally bring to him what they had reproduced in his absence, you see him do three things. First, you see him commending these guys. He says, well done, good and faithful servants. He's acknowledging everything that they have done in his absence, their obedience to his call. Second, you see him giving them more responsibility in order to continue their fruitful labor. He says, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And then finally, at the very end of that passage, you see him rewarding these servants where he tells them, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you this morning recognize, as we talk about this whole idea of discipleship, of being ready for when Jesus comes again, do you recognize that as the reward? The ability to share in the master's joy. It's as if in the parable of the prodigal son, you, the eldest brother, are content when your little brother comes running home to share in your father's joy at his return. You don't care. You're not jealous about this ring that the younger brother was given. You're not jealous about the robe. You're not jealous about the sacrifice. You're simply happy to see your brother be brought back into your household, the household of your father. That's what it's like for us this morning as we recognize this reward of being able to enter into the joy of our master. Share in Jesus' joy at the lost being found. Recognize that this morning. But you see really quickly that there are only two servants who are able to share in that master's joy. This other servant, if you read with me in verse 19, or sorry, in verse um, 24, says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Immediately you see this idea that this third servant's disobedience was a direct result of what he thought about his master you know that he had already made up within his mind to disobey when that master handed him that one talent because he didn't know or trust his master. If you read it with me, within this society, in an agricultural society, this language would be deeply profound. What he's saying essentially is, I took the time to till this earth, to plant these seeds, to care for them, to watch them grow, 
Yet here you are going to come along and take what you didn't work for, what's not yours. So here, I'll just give you the thing you gave me in the first place, and without having to do any of the work, I'll just give it back to you. Do you recognize that? This servant did not trust or really know who his master was. If he did, as soon as that master entrusted to him his property, he would have been so overcome with emotion and love for his master, but also for his master's task, that he would have gone immediately. Now you put this in discipleship terms. It's as if the Lord commands us to make disciples, and you say, what, you expect me to be content with doing all this work only to be told, good job at the end of the day? That is a misunderstanding of the work of discipleship and a misunderstanding of the heart of God. His heart in giving us this task is to bring others into a relationship with him. That way at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we are all there celebrating together and no one is left out because they weren't ready with their oil and their lamps. That is huge. For us this morning, we've got to ask ourselves, is that the heart that we have? This heart of discipleship that recognizes God's love for others and is so overcome with that same love that we're willing to do anything it takes to be able to help them to experience his love and to be able to share in our master's joy at them being brought into his family. Verse 26, you see the master responding to this servant who hid his master's money. It says, But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Essentially what he is saying within this terminology that he frequently uses to identify the, the torments of hell is this is how big of a deal this caring about your fellow man is. That should you be found not caring for him and seeking to usher him into a relationship with Jesus, you are worthless. I am worthless. That's a terrifying reality. Terrifying. So our goal this morning as we, we dig through the parable of the talents, recognizing this call to discipleship, seeing what the work of discipleship is and reproducing in others what the Lord has produced within us, His work on the cross, looking to this reward. But also we've got to know our Master well so that we're not caught up like this last servant in disobedience simply because we don't truly know Him and His heart and the deep, deep love that He has for us and for every single person that we come into contact with. That's our Father's heart, and that's the heart behind discipleship. So for us this morning, there are a couple of practical ways that we can apply all of this to our lives as we seek to be ready for His coming. The first is for you to identify the spiritual state of everyone who's around you. The people sitting next to you this morning, the people in your family, the people that you come in contact with in the drive through at Wendy's, wherever you are, to identify the spiritual state of everyone around you, recognizing the deep love that God has for them. And then to, to minister to them accordingly. 
If you recognize that they, they don't know about this Jesus guy, they don't know who he is, they don't know the love that he has for them, the lengths to which he has gone to redeem them and bring them into a relationship with him, do what Jesus did. Invite them to come and see. Come and check out who Jesus is. Invite them to coffee or over to your house for a cookout, whatever it may be, while there are these governing principles within this idea of discipleship, the way that that is fleshed out within our everyday lives has a whole lot of freedom. Maybe if you're around people who you know have heard the message but haven't really responded, haven't committed their lives to Jesus, maybe recognizing who he truly is, do what Jesus did. Call him to come and follow to step out in faith, sitting at Jesus' feet, learning everything they can from him, seeking to be his disciple. Maybe that looks like inviting somebody to a, a one-on-one Bible study with you and, and helping the, to grow them in their understanding of who Jesus is and how much he loves them. Maybe you've got people around you who are chasing after Jesus and you recognize that they need to be equipped to do the work of the ministry and do what Jesus did and call them to come and fish. Not for fish, but for men. Maybe that looks like bringing them along with a, some sort of uh, ministry opportunity that you serve with. Helping to set them up as leaders within that, that ministry. Getting them to recognize the work of ministry and what it looks like to see others and recognize the, the immense value that is placed on every single person and the enormous task that we have and bringing them into a relationship with Christ and seeing them be raised up to reach the world, reach the nations with the gospel. That's where it starts. And so for you, I'd encourage you to begin today in thinking of those people that you need to be intentional about as you seek to make disciples. The first, be a disciple, but then second, make disciples within your sphere of influence so that when Jesus does come back, we may hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Father, we do thank you for this morning. And we pray, Father, you would impart within us an understanding of all of this work, this enormous task. Father, impart and to us the idea that it is all empowered by your Holy Spirit. And Father, all takes place underneath your authority. And Father, would you help us to be intentional in looking to those that are around us and seeing them the way that you do, regardless of their walk of life, regardless of where they are. And Father, would you convict our hearts where we need to be convicted and continue to work out within us this work of discipleship Father, we may raise up people who care so much about you and about others being in relationship with you that we will go to the ends of the earth obeying your call. Father, that they may be there celebrating in the marriage supper of the Lamb with you. Father, we love you this morning and we thank you.